The main podcast is a free media source with a mission to provide better transparency in the market to connoisseurs, medical patients, recreational users, store owners, growers, extractors, and everyone in between. This is made possible through generous support from our sponsors who cover all corners of the great state of Maine. A special thank you goes out to Treeline Cannabis, Planet Tim, Watered Roots, Rugged Roots, The Head of Yeti, Tastefully Baked, Cure Cannabis, The Shack 420, Humble Family Farms, Canamelts, Salty Cultivation, The North Fire, Highbrow, Team Green, Seaworks & Co., Fade Space, Zero Gravity Extracts, Wisely Cannabis, and Stoner & Co. For more information on how you can support those who support us, please visit our website, www.mainpodcast.com, and click our Sponsors tab. Uh, in school, uh, I really got into it through a research paper at community college, actually, just RSO. That's the first thing I really dived into. I mean, I was smoking, but this was just like, wow, RSO is this really fascinating thing. And I don't mean to get too touchy or anything, but in 2016, my mom passed of cancer, and then RSO, I studied it at college, and it was just like, just did a paper on it, and it was just like so transformative, because it's like, this is really the one thing that can use your endocannabinoid system. I mean, I didn't even know what that was. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And can communicate to the cancer cells like, hey, you need to actually self-terminate, and they do. So that's why it's like, oh, my God, that really just grabbed my interest. And I was 18 at the time when I first, like, found out about that. So Did you get a chance to try it? No, no, no. So I was 18 when I found out about that. My mom passed at 16. But, yeah, studied RSO for a little bit, and I was just like, wow, this is such a cool plant. And then just, like, enveloped myself into it. Met up with Morris, and the rest is history. Uh, my girlfriend's uh, mother passed away of cancer as well from colon cancer, and uh, she was stage three when she was diagnosed. Um, but uh, we knew that it was kind of in a terminal situation, but we did get her from taking eight Oxycontin a day to one just wow. by moving to RSO. And so though it didn't necessarily save her life through the time that she was dealing with the battle, mm -hmm. it tremendously increased her quality of life. And to, I mean... I've had experience being on pain medication. Did she for have more of a coherency because she was able absolutely. To do that? Well, that was that's what I was going to get into. Is I've I've had numerous surgeries before and have been on um, opiates before, mm -hmm. and I know um, what that does to you, and it makes you lifeless in some ways. Oh and yeah, a lot of pharmacology. A lot for of pharmacology. sure. On a personal note, I mean, just as a kid, a young young child being prescribed SSRIs and benzos for all this other shit. That as soon as you go to the doctor with a problem, they say, "Here, take this pill," and you don't even really know how it affects you your child and then cannabis came along and just like wow i can use this it's all natural like i don't feel like a zombie yeah. after i take it and it helps so much so that's one of the things that we've really picked up on it at at the store in farmington with all the patients too is just it's really just about increasing people's quality of life as nate mentioned and you know we've seen that tenfold it's the education inspiring. and the medical when we first opened up over there and i think you we talked about it too a little bit that education that you're able to get because your store um <clears throat> because you had the time to to give them that type of uh medical aspects different things like you were talking about family members who want to delve into it who are older who are are staying away from it until now because they realize until now that hey maybe this is working like they know too many people now yep. who use it who uh and medically speaking they use it when it's for sleep and for anxiety I think there is a fine line, though, with how you want to use it, too. We talked about the one gram reps. If you were living that all the time, there's, it's probably, I'd, I'd have a hard time calling it medicine at that point for you. You know, are you just really going to town? Is that how you're going to do it yeah. for a couple of years? I, I used to smoke to get really stoned, yeah. no doubt. But Who hasn't? Yeah, right. <laughs> Who hasn't, right. man? But I think now I find uh, and a lot more with people or with more people that I know they're smoking because it gets them in the right spot. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, medical was a stepping stone for people to sort of remove some of that propaganda. And then now we're getting to the point to where we're trying to get rid of the prop, the propaganda and of, of recreational took. Cause I, I, there's some people that are like fine with medical, but still not okay with people using it recreationally. And I think that's the next barrier that we need to overcome as a society is recognize that it's okay to use cannabis recreationally as well as medicinally. 
and you shouldn't be demonized for it. It should be no different than going home and drinking a beer. Um, and I think that's really the next hurdle um, for cannabis on a, on a recreational level is to have those people that are sort of still demonizing it take that next leap and to recognize that it's another form of relaxation or whatever you want to call it. Um, and to speak to Nate's, Nate's point, that's why he's so awesome because he takes that branding to the next level we were talking about earlier how we want to stay away from just the classic, like I call it like a sex appeal of cannabis. Like when the branding first started hitting the scene, it's just like in your face. So someone who does want to use it, even on a recreational uh, aspect, but they want to switch from drinking a bottle of wine a night to maybe smoking a joint. I mean, if they go in and they see something that almost scares them, they don't know they're going to, they might shy away from it. So Nate's done a really cool job of kind of making this vibe. That's like, Hey, you can use this and it's okay to use that. So and cool to mm. really work with him. Yeah, and like how can you possibly sell my mother on Alaskan Thunderfuck? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you reach a point where like the, the branding of cannabis was so off the wall where nobody was going to take that seriously. And though the strain names are still a little bit out there and silly, at least there's like a huge variety of different types of products whether it's tinctures or edibles or whatever that may be. It doesn't it's not the old school smoking a joint because for some people They'll never be that type of person, but they would definitely take maybe a small capsule of concentrate or something before bed or CBD or THC, whatever it is that they're looking for. It's uh, packaged in a much more digestible way for people nowadays, which is great. No, it is. Uh, and in adult use, they want to take away or there are restrictions to it from it with what you can show or brand as, you know what I mean? Um, like can of melts can't do the bear going forward you know so it's really been stripped away so there's this afterthought okay well what what do i do with uh, my logo now or how do i create this brand you've kind of already leapfrogged over that to a lot of degree because you put it into not only your gear but you put it in onto your packaging and into alternative logoing for so. sure. Maine's pretty tough on that. I mean, there are other states that don't even take it that serious as far as packaging goes. Yeah, it's just another example of like how Maine is kind of restrictive to small businesses. You know, as cannabis becomes more of a national market, it's really going to be a lot to do with branding. And, you know, we're so limited on what we're capable of doing here. You know, it, it puts us at a disadvantage. It also forces us to be more creative. So there's a flip side there. But you kind of saw it with Seaweed Co. They, yep. they were just sued 10000 for having a mermaid which in my opinion is neither an animal nor a person but yeah i know (laughs) (laughs) to morris's point in some ways it neuters your creativity and in other ways it kind of sparks the creativity where you have to think outside of the box it gives you parameters to work around you gotta play Um, a lot with font and with color and yeah that's really what we've been getting away with is just unique color palettes Mm -hmm. um and avoiding any type of imagery altogether because we can just sort of jump right over that hurdle Um, as far as barriers you know you look at alcohol and you know it's They've got imagery that, quote unquote, would appeal to kids. So it's like, you know, we're still being held at. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's a different playing field, isn't it? It's yeah. just yeah. so new. It's new territory. Budweiser's the horses. What do you? Uh, yeah. are you should yeah, there right. not be horses in beer? I don't think that the Portland market was ever kind of set up for small main or small main enterprises or businesses. Would you would you agree? Characterize it that way? I think they wanted a lot of, a lot of large corporations involved in it, and so that and I, I bring that up from a pricing and how difficult it's been to get into that market. Um, I I understand. Uh... I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure I 100% would agree with that. I, no. I do think the way they've gone about it has created that, but I'm not sure just watching and observing the actual council members. I'm not Wasn't sure. Purposeful. I'm not sure that's their that's generally their motive. Mm. Um, I just I'm not sure that they're. It's still very new. There's not a lot of oversight. Yeah, uh, people are going out and reaching for information from different. And models, yeah, and whoever and they kind of they're exactly, you know, they're using that the Denver model and the Cali model. It's like that they're, they're not really applying what they know about their own city and what Mainers you know love about Maine, which is local Maine businesses, um, and just making it affordable to actually run a business. I mean, I think Maine's always struggled with that, with like you know, 
assisting small businesses get get started and, and be successful. We were Nate and I were talking about um, the location where the store is going to be. It's going to feed into a, a neighborhood uh, a little bit more so, right? Or, or was that the idea behind it? Want to speak to that a little bit, Aiden? Yeah, so it's in a really cool area of uh, Portland. It's right across the street from the post office, and it's uh, it's just an awesome setting. It's close enough to the old port. It's also close enough to uh, just the downtown parts of Portland, and um, it's a really awesome vibe we're going to try to create. It's going to get an, um, nice and funky, and like you said earlier, how it kind of seems like Portland wants a super corporate setting. That's where our store, well, with Nate's help, we're differing just to get a really weird but fun vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is def- definitely a, a an up and coming neighborhood, as uh, you know. We'd say you know there's a lot of homeless people in the area, mm-hmm. um, but they uh, supposedly someone bought that whole strip that we're on, um, a Boston firm. So you know we definitely have a suspe- suspicion that it's an up and coming neighborhood. Um, you know we're right right off two ninety five too, so we're in, a, we're in a pretty good spot. Yeah, Part of is. the reason we picked that location, to, to be frank, was because we knew we wouldn't be in a buffer zone, which was what, what Portland's uh, license application referred to as having multiple applicants within 200 or 200 feet of, of each other. So we kind of needed to find something out of the zone because we knew we didn't have a lot of the merit points that were going to be required that a lot of these other companies have, you know, like large finances and et cetera. Um, so that's part of the reason we picked that location is we knew we wouldn't be in a buffer zone. I think there are going to be some areas of uh, growth, much more, much more investments in real estate. It seems like it's already going on right now. Portland's always been that way. When there could be an investment in that neighborhood or that area where you are, that would have a huge impact long term. Yeah, that's how you build. Yeah, I always thought that that I like the idea of. Uh, a more genuine, more unique to the state feel of a shop than I do the the calculated and more medical aesthetics. So anytime you can bring the cannabis lifestyle into it, that's that's playing a part, isn't it? For sure. Actually, Sam, do you want to dive into like the uh, the aesthetic choices, like the referencing of uh, Hunter S. Thompson and uh, you know Ralph Sedman and stuff like that? I think sure. it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you want me to? Yeah, yeah, just yeah, dive into it a little bit. You want him I mean, to tell the story? Yeah, he, he, he's kind of like got the background. I'm the guy that like d- designs around it, but I didn't make the decision to go in that lane. Was so. it imagery? Were you looking I think at so, yeah. images? Yeah, yeah so. and that's a pretty cool story just to. So uh, our late our late buddy, Connor Graham, who passed away, him and I were both really into Hunter S. Thompson and um, Ralph Steadman and that whole like, counterculture mm-hmm. um, that came from that era. He had a, a bunch of Hunter S. Thompson, Ralph Steadman tattoos. Um, and then we hired this branding firm out of Portland when we first uh, kind of launched Cannaba Co., the rec company, um, called Rugged Coastal. And they showed up to the shop, and they found this Hunter S. Thompson book, and they just took it with them. Um, photo book? Yeah, it was a photo book. So there's, you know, just throughout his whole career, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, Snorting Coke and yeah, yeah. <laughs> what wasn't he doing? Yeah, exactly. yeah. I went a couple books deep. Uh, it started with the Las Vegas one. And I went a couple books deep, and I was like, "Damn, this guy—he does this all yeah. the time, doesn't he?" Oh, for he? sure. Yeah, he's, those are benders. He's a riot. Yeah. And uh, so they took the book and they kind of like contacted contacted us. Uh, I don't know how, like maybe a couple weeks later, and they're like, "We, you know, we have a pretty good idea." They we. Showed up, uh, sat down for a presentation. They showed us like one brand idea, which was garbage. It was very corporate. Another brand idea, which was natural. It was supposed to be like the natural side, but it also looked very corporate. And then there was this third option at the bottom, which was like this purple and red and, you know, yellow and green and, uh, you know, light blue and orange. And it was really weird. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> We're both rock Exactly. Yeah, you can see it. And it just kind of caught us. It caught our eye attention, um, and it it really I think it plays to a, a playful, funky side, which we're really trying to just get away from the standard branding that you see with cannabis everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
the zero gravity guys were kind of the first ones that I was talking with, and they kind of brought that up. And they're like, yeah, we're you know, trying to stay away from the natural. Yeah, done a really good job with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's that just line. been done so many times that like yeah. these color schemes are not seen in cannabis, and that's why I think it gives us a leg up on the competition in some ways. And the get wise, not weird uh, kind of motto of the company is is actually a an anti drug propaganda phrase um, that was used. So we're kind of trying to take from uh, circa any idea exactly when 50s, or just through it all 50s, 60s, probably really and the original yeah. poster is like this owl uh-huh. and get, get keep off the grass. Get wise, <laughs> not weird. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty cool. We get to take a little bit of power back in that. Uh, in studio with us is Cannaba. Cannaba Company? Cannaba? Cannaba Co. is our Instagram tag. Sure. Um, but that's just because the there was a Japanese independent film that is named Cannaba, so we kind of had to get a little differentiation there. What's a Japanese in the independent film? What was that about? Did you even watch it? Did you bother? It's funny that we're You're not going to tell me it's something totally. It's a, it's a movie about cannibals. So we, you know, we were trying to stay away from that. Like, did you think to yourself at that point, uh-oh, maybe we shouldn't call ourselves cannibal go? People are going to think we're cannibals. We had been using cannabis naturals for our medical for you know years at that point. So yep. it was more just like drop the naturals or run cannabis for rec and um, Cannabis Naturals will stay our medical company, mm-hmm. which is uh, originally Algonquian for the name of the river that runs through Farmington. So that was kind of like where we got that connection. I like that connection. It has roots in your area. Yeah, yeah. And when Nate actually originally designed the logo, um, the leaf has uh, kind of like a Native American style, stylistic to it, you know, with the feathers as opposed to leaves. And we we're kind of paying homage to the area. We were talking about that a lot. The uh, logo that you created, Nate. Uh, I, there was something about the leaf. It, it to me, it portrays a little bit more um, in a primal sense or a primal way compared to a lot of other leaf interpretations that I've seen. And then with the slight hook at the bottom, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, thank you. Basically, like I wanted to avoid having any sort of stereotypical cannabis leaf styling. You know. And I wanted to make something that was a bit more digestible for them. And it's actually had several evolutions over the years. At this point, we're probably on like the third generation of this logo now. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the, we wanted to do something that was like less stereotypical and less um, sort of like festival heady type of look. We wanted, especially for medical where this originated, we wanted it to be a little bit more professional and sleek looking. And uh, yeah, and something that like somebody that's like, not because I'm not I'm not the type of person that would wear any old cannabis gear. Uh, so I wanted to design it for something that I'd like to wear as well, yep. too. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I agree with you on that. I remember when I saw it, I said, if you're going to include like a marijuana leaf, uh, at least that was a great interpretation of what you could do with it. Thank so, you. So how long ago, Steve, did, did you start? Yeah. Sam. Sam, no worries. Right. <laughs> that was <laughs> We can all introduce ourselves. Know, like, yes, let's do that yeah. real quick. Go ahead. Sam Steve. Morris. Aiden. Aiden. Yep. And I'm Nate Winter. And we have another Sam. And we have Sam, another Sam. Sam Higgins is missing here today. Yep. He's up north. He's probably making chocolate bars. Yeah. <laughs> Does he do the edibles? Yeah. 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 Oh, so he's the in-house. Do you make them with distillate or with hash rosin or both? We're, we're mostly using distillate set. at the moment. We are going to get into the, the hash hash rosin as well. We kind of have a big rosin setup that we haven't really been utilizing fully, but we plan to. So rosin, like hash rosin as well as regular rosin? Yeah. Somewhere around there? Yeah. Yeah. You started this, Sam. Was it how long ago? I mean, if we want to Or go your origins even before Canada. How's that? I mean, I guess, uh, you know, it all started with the love for the plant and, you know, what it was capable of doing medically mm-hmm. um, and the lifestyle behind it. You know, I definitely didn't want to work a conventional job. So I kind of dropped out of college after a year um, and just really got into the cannabis scene. I met uh, a gentleman from Sativa Solution named Ryan who brought over a, my first lamp and a couple plants, and that was kind of like the, the start. And then I, I moved out, out west to 
Western Maine, um, Farmington, Kingfield region, uh, like 20, say 2014 maybe. And that's when I really started growing um, commercially. I got my caregiver license, uh, really focused on the outdoor. That's kind of like where my roots started, where I grew up on a small farm in Winterport. Um, I learned a lot there from my mom, who was big into, you know, small-time agriculture. And uh, so I took that techni- those techniques and kind of applied them to outdoor cannabis, and um, that's really where we got our foothold in, in the door. I met Aiden around that time. In 2014, uh, give or yeah, take? Probably or? about that, 2016 yeah, maybe. 2016. Um, and he was more on the sales, sales end of, of things, so we kind of networked there. And same with Nate. That's where I first met Nate was through the – he was more on the sales end, so I was networking through him. Mm-hmm. Um, this all started with one, two plants, one light? Yep, yep. Two plants with one light. Two plants. I think remember that, the strain? Oh, yeah, that, for sure. I mean, the first. Or what you were told I was, I was wicked lucky, dude. Like, I, I got uh, Sour Diesel and ChemDog. Um, what was labeled ChemDog D, I'm actually thinking it was ChemSys, um, just based on the, the turf profile of it and the actual style of the plant. What is it? What is the turf profile? Chemsys is a little sweeter, gassy and sweeter. Um, definitely not that rotten. Yeah. You know, garlic onion. Now they're calling it with the GMO terps, but yeah, right. The Chem D terps. Um, and then, you know, the sour diesel, which I'm not sure if it was the sour diesel anymore. It might've been an S one I've seen since, uh, I've met melting pot farm, Sean from melting pot. And he actually gave me the sourced, Chaco cut of East Coast Sour Diesel. So I know the sour that I had wasn't that just by watching them perform. Um, but I remember that Sour Diesel that everybody yeah. was talking about before. And then it's it feels like it's been more questioned lately in the last, say, four or five years even. But that early Sour Diesel looked a little too thick uh, a build to me. Am I right in thinking that? Or did you have that type of cut? Yeah, well, I, I, I remember I was down in Old Orchard Beach probably like two, three years ago, and this guy popped open his jar. I'm like, dude, is that sour? And he's, well, I actually asked him if it was chem because I, you know, I, it had been so long since I smelled chem 91. And, uh, it, you know, I had those two plants and they grew very similarly. And he's like, no, it's sour. And I was like, man, that is the exact cut of sour I've had. So I know it's like got, it's been circulated around enough that people like still consider it a good cut. I had stopped growing it because it just always came out like hey it was finicky uh, it, it seemed to have some sort of viroid so from like a cultivation standpoint i couldn't continue to market it i still have it yeah and uh i actually my employee um who's also named sam grew it and grew it properly and was able to get it to get the terps out on it the resin came out proper um the resin very similar to like the chem d resin but yeah definitely not the chakra cut and it's not the original diesel, which is my other was my other suspect. Because mm-hmm. the original diesel I also got from Melting Pot, uh, Sean from Melting Pot, and they're definitely not the same plant. This one, my sour is a little stockier, um, but you know it could very easily be from that northern original Klops Northern Lights Chem ninety one mm-hmm. seed selection, which supposedly had lots of seeds from that. So, how how you and uh, Sean over at uh, Melting Pot? How long? Had you guys known each other before? Or did you seek out Sean? No, uh, I, mean, I can't really even remember how how I how it happened. It's yeah. only been the last couple of years that I've known of him, but I've yeah. heard of more increasing um, uh, people people who have had relationships with him uh, through the years. Yeah, so far. yeah. So he was big on the forums. He's he's a he's yeah a older cat, and uh, he was he's got a kind of I would say a following from just having sourced the original sour cut. And growing that out and, you know, posting forms about it and just growing chronic herb. Like, uh, we carry his flower in the shop if we're lucky enough to get it. And it is, you know, I, you know, I don't mean to put him on a pedestal, but, you know, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. But he's definitely some of the most chronic herb in the state, no doubt. I agree. I had it uh, maybe about three weeks ago for the first time ever. Yeah. And it was... Um, indirectly given to me by Ryan over at Rugged Roots. Oh, cool. And because um, they're in the building as well. And so he came over this way, saw him in the parking lot, and he's like, hey, I got something for you. He said it's from Sean at Melting yeah. Pot. Hell yeah. And um, I, I don't think I ever even got the name. It was Mystery Bud. Yeah. I could tell by holding it. And, you know, similarities uh, to be had here um, to, to a degree. 
when I talk about the cure, when we were earlier talking about the cure, your flower reminded, and this is the first time I've laid eyes on it in a, in a you know, a larger format. Yeah, not, right. It's not like, you know, we've got a hundred pounds here. But, uh, <laughs> or do we? Do we bring more? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'll talk to Aiden later. <laughs> um, but the cure seemed to be very much the same, very different than a lot of other flowers that have been coming across. And that's not to knock anybody else's cure, but I know what I like in a cure. And that, that's right there, that's solid. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because Sean is actually the one that turned me on to the current soul recipe I'm using. So, depending on the sample you got and what he was doing at that time, very well could have been grown in the exact soil recipe that, um, that mine was grown in. So in your, uh, living soil, uh, living, want to talk about your soil medium a little bit or yeah, without sure. going I, too deep I, into it? I'm using the filthies mix. So it's, uh, it is a living soil. It's not, um, like a no-till soil. I okay. was running no-till before I started talking to Sean and I was running into some issues soil was staying too wet um you know the plants were growing slow they needed a long veg time and, and your no-till sorry yeah your no-till, no-till are they larger vats were they were they I was tub doing, style i was doing 20 15 it was, i was either doing 15 or 20 gallon pots oh, okay uh, and 15 is typically it's kind of general on the smallest you want to go with no-till just for like keeping the microbial population alive um but you know, I knew I knew the system. What I was doing was flawed. And looking back, I definitely could have tweaked some things. I started doing some soil tests through Humane uh, Soilscape Solutions in California, and uh, you know the the numbers were definitely skewed. They were off. The plant, you know, the potassium was way too high. Um, so I definitely could have tweaked some stuff. But I was also at that stage where like I was ready to try something new and just kind of dive into it. And you know, lo and behold, Sean kind of popped up through the woodwork and we started talking and he was just a kind of a wealth of information an open book, which is really kind of what, what I need in order to get my brain going is to kind of just generally bang off the major questions and, you know, move forward. He's not really giving you the reasons or, or promoting one technique or another. It's more about what that soil media uh, uh, was going to be able to do that where other soils lacked. Is that partly it? I think it's just more the style of the soil was is better for a commercial setting than how I was applying the no-till setup, um, where I was getting these huge pots that are hard to lug around because it's like a, a humic base peat, which holds more moisture. Oh, so heavy. Um, yeah, just so heavy pots, hard on the employees, hard on my back. I've got a bad back as it is. And, uh, it's from um, that mix. Is it? <laughs> it probably is. It's because the no, no joke. It's because the guys told me to put rocks in the pot. So here I am throwing rocks. <laughs> I don't know who that guy was. Yes, um, but uh, yeah, so the filthies, and it was. I'm sorry, it was staying wet too long. Is it was, that what was yeah. happening? Yeah. So the roots were weren't penetrating the lower parts of the soil quick enough. So the veg was the veg was slow. Um, but I mean, the herb was chronic. It was killer herb. It was organic soil, and you know. They tend to stay a little too green too long. The fade, you know, wasn't coming early enough just because there's so much nutrients in the soil, which the other thing when you start with such a uh, high amount of nutrients in the soil is you tend, you tend to have to need to keep the soil wet in order to keep the nutrient cycling going and mm-hmm. keeping the plant from getting Continuing shocked. to release through right. uh, the period of uh, eight or ten, well, geez. Are you repotting? Were you repotting as you were going along when you were doing the no-till from size to size, or, or did uh, you kind of? I would basically go from a. Uh, it was either a one or a two into the fifteen. Oh wow! Yeah, and then kind of vegging for you know it was taking four-ish weeks to to veg them out to size in order to even fill the canopy, and that was again part and due to them the soil needing to be wet in order to not shock the plants from the amount of nutrients in it, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, back to the filthies. So the filthies is a different soil altogether. It's a much lighter mix. Uses fat sphagnum peat as opposed to humic peat, um, which you know some no-till would also use sphagnum. At the time, I was using humic, so that was really kind of where I went went wrong. I should have used sphagnum from the start. But so the filthies mix is. What does that do, or what would they have done differently? You think now, and looking back on it, the sphagnum is a lot lighter. Um, it's not as broken down as the humic peat. The humic peat is typically found at the bottom of a bog, mm-hmm. um, and it's 100% decomposed for the most part, um, I believe. 
That's what uh, the Living Acres guys told me anyway. Um, Is that so for a later release? Is that why it's kind of in there? I think it's supposed to generate something for later. And my, I'm I'm learning more about it, but I'm I'm still very uh, I'm still a, a novice for sure. Yeah, it's only in conversations with people who come in who have been talking about it, and a little bit more research lately into what like a no-till and what then like a living soil, how these are created. My it was about 2014. I didn't know anybody but one guy. I called him the Godfather because, uh, well, you yeah. know, what I mean, uh, I was probably 40 and I'm just learning how to grow cannabis, you know. And this guy was 60 something, and I'm like, and he was gonna be the guy who, you know, taught us and brought us along, and he did for a while. But I found myself supplementing with what I could find on the internet. For me, it wasn't forums back in 2014, or maybe I didn't even bother to go into that i went into youtube world more right and yeah. so but somebody i came i want to say it was um subcool genetics got into a line of soil as well was it a uh, kind soil or something to that uh, degree and i'm probably mistaken funny just, that you bring that up because that actually is where i started with soil with subcool's recipe oh uh, was it yeah and so they talked about those later releases and that was the difficulty other people were ha uh, that's where other soils were falling short is when um, the plant needed something in those later, later weeks in flower, it was still, you know, there was enough in there that was releasing later in the process right. to feed it. Yeah, that's where they they were saying they were different than others. Am I mistaken on that? Well, that's the way I believed it. I wanted to buy some, I mean, but the, I never got to it. I think the benefit of the humic peat is that it does retain moisture better. It is more broken down, so it's not. It's not going to affect the pH as it does break down like sphagnum could if there isn't a buffer like dolomite in there. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I would I would navigate more towards humic peat for outdoors just because of the water retention. Um, you know, maybe a blend of both. That's what I what I do now for outdoors is like a seven seventy thirty humic to sphagnum peat blend for outdoors and indoors just a hundred percent sphagnum just because it's lighter, fluffier. But uh, to answer your question. Um, oh, so the recipe changes from indoor to outdoor definitely. for what you're looking for yeah. because your environment outdoor here, you're finding the water retention is probably greater, a greater need for it. Yeah, especially these last couple of years, they've been so dry, you know. Yeah, it has, has it? Gotten limited snow and limited rain. Last year, you know, I, you know, we were basically running the drippers every day. Probably going to have that again this year. I'm thinking. That's what it feels like. This wasn't much of a winter snow. at all, was it? Yeah. No, no, no. I tried calling out of work a few times and because <laughs> of the weather, and I just couldn't do it. Couldn't find a day. <laughs> that ever happened to you, Aiden? Um, you're you're in sales with the company, and I'd yeah. love to come back too. I just want to get yeah, yeah, the, the boys rolling. Happy to. Yeah. So uh, I got started right around 2018. Um, I linked up with Morris on the business side, on the caregiving side, but just diving into the plant, um, it was always more of a sales aspect and just trying to expand my basic understanding of the plant mm -hmm. um, because it helped me and a lot of people in my life kind of off the path of traditional pharmacology with whatever medication it could be. And this thing, cannabis, really came in and said, you can, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, but uh, it, it just is truly transformative in the sense that you can... Uh, I'm sorry, I smoked that weed. <laughs> no, no, this, we'll throw that in. Um, it's the things that you can achieve that you can recognize within yourself, maybe, on how it's treating you. You can kind of withdraw from other uses of medications or... Yes, exactly. That kind yep, of thing? Yep, cannabis was really awesome for that. I'll edit out the other part. Yeah, or perfect. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> All stone, sorry. My right, right, no, no worries. So... So that's what drew, drew you into getting into cannabis yeah, a little bit yeah. more so? Yeah, absolutely. You guys had a relationship before. When did you feel like it was the right time for Cannabis to get into needing somebody in, in a sales role? Yep. Uh, I mean, just as the company expanded, we wanted to, uh, the goal was to open a shop in Southern Maine. Mm -hmm. And Aiden kind of resides down in, in Southern Maine, so it made sense to... He, he he owns the delivery service that is branded under Cannaba. Okay. So um, we wanted to get the brand out there before we opened the store, so you know there'd be some brand recognition already in the area. And has um, that's worked out fairly well for you? 
Yeah, I yeah, mean, it has. it's been rolling since uh, 2018? Yeah, May of 2018. Okay. Um, so you had experience or before in delivery, or you kind of knew the infrastructure that you wanted to set into place? Yeah, I just knew the area very well. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of deliveries in other areas in Berwick or in the Portland area, Biddeford. Those areas were super populated, whereas Sanford really wasn't. So it was more about just getting to starting in that area, getting the medicine out to patients so we can brand ourselves. Hey, we're now in Berwick. Hey, we are coming up to the Portland area. Um, and it's been going really well. You get to play the market that could come in from uh, out-of-state patients as well who can meet you somewhere. Is that all accepted as well? Yeah, that it's is a delivery accepted. service? Uh, yep. I, I believe so, right? Yep. Yeah. So that must have you been able to capitalize on out-of-state patients as well, part of the market? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we meet them all the time. Um, Kittery, Sanford, all those areas. And it's cool for them because they get to experience medicine that they've never experienced before. They're in somewhat more of a corporate setting down in Massachusetts, whereas you can come up to Maine and go to all these different cool companies and get some really, really, really awesome flour. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, you carry other brands in your delivery service as well? As Canada? Yeah, we work with a few other vendors. We work with... Are they also located down in the Sanford area or? Uh, a lot of them <laughs> mid-coast. Mid-coast? Yep. So they you're mostly... creating new markets for them? No, in the sense of product, we are mostly carrying um, just Canada gear. Canada, Canada Naturals. Uh, we do have a few other vendors for edibles, Medco, things like that. But Blue Sky, Canada Naturals. Yeah. Oh, those are the vendors you guys are working with predominantly? Yeah, for, for the delivery, the, ver- the delivery obviously has a little bit more skeletal of a menu than the medical store up in Farmington. Um, up there, we, we're carrying uh, tons and tons of people, and we, we kind of cycle through, and we're always looking for new vendors up in Farmington. So if anybody's listening to this, hit us up. Yeah. <laughs> a nice plug you got in. That's right. Now, hold on. That's been going on in the market for a while now. Everybody's been looking for um, flower vendors, especially. It, yeah. it, 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 was a pretty good winter where winter might have normally seen a drop off. I'm yeah. sure it wasn't the same as like in the summer, but the need for products stayed pretty high, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that I'd say around August, too, there, was, there was a crazy drought. I mean, you know, we, we were at, I, I've talked to other shops, Atlantic Farms guys, and you know, everyone was having a hard time sourcing flour like August, and then it finally caught back up. But our sales, you know, you know luckily, um, kind of continued to grow through the winter. Um, you, know, I, you know, I think in cannabis, we were just lucky, um, you know, being considered essential in the state here. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're to stay open and not have too many restrictions. And, you know, I think people just turned to cannabis as a, a way to pass the time. So I think that helped sales grow. But also the market in Maine is, is growing anyway. So you know, there's multiple factors at play. I remember um, when COVID came around and nobody had uh, the business or the medical program hadn't been deemed essential yet and this was a a reactionary piece on my part i wrote an article i was thinking about that impact what if we had to close down stores during that period of time what would that landscape have caused everything to look like right so i think it really there were a lot of great things that came from becoming uh, deemed essential but my worst scenario uh case scenario at the time was going to be how our how our cultivators who are growing at this scale going to be able to down downsize or downscale to have that market, you know, disappeared for six months. Right. Instead. Yeah. Luckily it's not, not the reality we're, we're in right now, but no, I, sure. that, that was the case that, you know, we grew probably 20 to 40% employees through COVID, you know, and those are people that were previously unemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, that's just our company. So look at, however many caregivers are in the state now. And I think everybody probably saw a period of growth through COVID and that was, you know, sustaining mm-hmm. economies and keeping people employed. So I'm, I'm grateful that you know, the state decided to consider us essential. Yeah. Had we not, you're right. That essential tag really helped a lot of people. And so a lot of companies that maybe had things set up for on the far, far horizon could now bring it into scope a little bit closer. Those who were successful, and have continued to be successful beyond that summer, you know, early fall period where growth going in the right direction, continuing to go up. That means people were happy to notice you, happy to 
happy about what your quality was and you found finding a lot and then retaining a lot of customers off of it that's what happened right yeah yeah absolutely and i and also i think we were on the more cautious side so we you know we we changed our setup we launched dutchy on our weed mat uh dutchy on our on our website menu which allows people to order ahead of time it's kind of like an order online platform mm-hmm. so we were able to implement uh curbside a lot more effectively i haven't uh, heard of dutchy before uh same concept as like weed maps yeah it's in the a, sense you can order off of it's it. It's better than Weed Maps for sure, in, in yeah. our opinion. Weed, Weed Maps, as Aiden will say, is, is all about Weed Maps. They're branding Weed Maps for yeah. Weed Maps. Whereas yeah. Dutchy, it's like there's no Dutchy logo. It's just a website embed, and it's an order online platform that's through your website. Um, we've been really happy with it, and it definitely helped us limit exposure through COVID, which kept patients happy and kind of kept staff safe. Mm-hmm. Not that everybody did that, but there was a period there, especially in the beginning, where we did shut down and only do curbside because nobody knew what the hell was going on. Nate, this brings you into the conversation a little bit because we were talking about that. Uh, um, you have uh, you designed uh, the website as well. Were you yep. a part of that process? That was actually um, one of the first or projects. collaborated with. Well, yeah, so it kind of started organically, I would say. The first time I made a logo for you was in 2015 or 2016, roughly. Um, yeah, because the medical shop opened. We opened our medical shop in 2016, so it would have been probably probably right, right around yep. then. Yep, so that was like my first project as far as creatively with Sam. Um, and then, you know, over the years, he's reached out to me for different things like that. And uh, this past fall, I think uh, he just, he realized that there was things that they were falling short in as far as their marketing and branding. So he knew that I was capable of doing those things. So he had reached out to me and uh, the new updated logo and the website was probably the first uh, project that we started with. And uh, it sort of evolved very quickly into realizing uh, how much I enjoyed working for them on a regular basis and how much of an asset I was to bringing sort of new things to the table for them, like managing their social media, and uh, graphic design work, web design work, sort of things like that, and uh, marketing strategies. So, um, yeah, then we sort of like hit the ground running. As of October, I've been pretty steady with them. And uh, by the first of the year, I moved into more of a full-time position with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been fantastic. The How much of what Canva and the logos is a shared concept between the two of you? Or, or is it something that you've left... I don't know. I think they give me a ton of creative license, which is awesome. Like, so uh, they just kind of like trust what I do for them artistically. And uh, I usually run things by them. They tend to not really shut down a lot of things that I bring to the table. So, um, yeah. The website's accessibility for people to use it, to actually use it, have it being interactive. That was probably the biggest concern in having a website well course. actually the first website was like super not user friendly and uh people had a hard time engaging with it so like my whole my whole thing i wanted to bring to the table originally was have this beautiful sleek professional aesthetic and to have it very easy to navigate have it showcase a gallery of all the products that we offer um and uh yeah man i think we've we've had a ton of compliments on the accessibility of it and i'll streamline the experiences so yeah. to be able to shop on it and effectively without glitches yeah, I taking I, one of the ori- the biggest issues was the original website before Nate took over. It was Jet uh, Black. It was <laughs> probably the first issue I could say. <laughs> yeah, the name of who created it? Like, no, no, no. The, <laughs> the color of it. When you oh, log oh, on. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So yeah. you would log on the visual. Uh, I fell for that. Though. Yeah, I've done that. It was, yeah, it was. Just, I still am doing it. I think the main podcast is that way. Yeah. Oh, are you telling plus me? The, plus the, like the mobile embed just wasn't working properly. People would right. try to like scroll the menu to order and it was just like wouldn't work so that yeah, was a big issue mobile everybody's mobile sure. so we also have like a huge range of a, a a wide demographic so anywhere between college students at umf which is right down the road from us university yep. of maine of farmington yep and uh you know elderly people we have people stage three cancer patients like we have such a wide variety of people so it needs to be a very sleek aesthetic um that sort of caters to all these different people and is user friendly for people that aren't necessarily that um you know, internet uh, savvy. <laughs> savvy, I guess you could say. So, um, but you're, I, you're the gear, and I'm, and I believe I've been on the website before. I think you showed me through. We were doing uh, 
we were hanging out yep. together a couple Sundays when, when New Fame was here. But we had a chance, and you were showing me some of the website stuff. Um, it's lively. It's also you know it's something that makes you feel like just like what you've done with the gear and the look. It's very very lively. It's something that you want to enjoy. Like it can just lift your spirits by by the color selections and the look. Sure, so you've done a really good job of bringing I appreciate something that. very uh, I appreciate original that. and authentic. The, the the whole strategy for me was to sort of a get out of the stereotype of the 420 lime green dancing bear aesthetic that is just i thought was or the the rastafara red green yellow sort of look that was the whole branding image of cannabis forever um that i grew up in at least and it was very loud and in your face and heady and so i wanted to make something that was like so bright and colorful but um not i don't know something new something more in the lifestyle branding category that like you could go hiking in this shirt. You could sort of, it's not just like you're going to a fish show or mm. <laughs> something like that, where you're going to rock a, you know, a cannabis shirt per se. Um, and we are in a new age of cannabis. I mean, whether you want to talk about it on a state level or a national level and perhaps a global level, even if you want to as far as who's it. using cannabis, right? which who's is, using it. you know, now, you know, you're the people, you know, we're talking like my, my parents' generation that are like eating an edible before bed, <laughs> you know, which like I never would have thought in a million years that, uh, yeah. you know, my, my generation's parents would be cool with that because we, we got all the shit growing up about why it was bad for us and all that propaganda that they bought into when they were growing up. Are we always going to have pockets that are going to be dry pockets within the state? I don't think, I think so. I, I no. think I think that was a, a compromise made by the the four rec uh, language writers um, to kind of push the agenda forward and get it passed. I, I think it's ultimately a stupid move on the state's part to to tell towns that they can um, deny cannabis businesses because it's only going to hurt the economy and hurt the growth of, of, of the industry here in Maine. I think, you know, that'll eventually change. You know, if you look at what's happening in California, they're, they're basically talking about getting rid of towns' ability to, to know cannabis. Really? Yeah. Because I mean, their, their legalization has been such a shit show. You know, the prices yeah, are the- extremely high. The regulations are, are super high, uh, the licensing fees, et cetera. They had a lot of illegal uh, shops popping up oh, yeah. continuously to compete yeah. because, yeah, these people didn't want to pay for it, but until they got caught, they were making good money and they just pop up another time someplace yeah. else. Absolutely. Amazing market. And, they, yeah, they there's not a lot. I think medical programs are ultimately always a lead up to the wreck, but I, I fear for the quality of what wreck normally becomes can it looks like Maine's got a good chance of not be uh, having this drop off with who goes into adult use and who will be a provider on the adult use program because normally and I'm a lump them in the larger corporation companies tend not to have that as a as a as their benchmark as as what draws people in yeah the quality definitely isn't their concern for sure mm-hmm. um I think the craft industry here in Maine is as good as it is anywhere in the country. I think the guys that are, are killing it, you know, are going to continue to kill it. I, I generally have an optimistic view of the market here. I know it, it can look grim from time to time, but, um, you know, you got to persevere through the, the muck. We're going to go through our cycles, up right. and ups and downs. You know, down. the corp- corporate cannabis is, is already here, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the local shops are – are still doing well. You know, there's a place for everybody in the market. I'm obviously all for the, the denial of more corporate cannabis moving in, but you know, it's just not the world we live in. It's not the reality. No, it's not. So you're, I mean, you're basing a lot of what you do off of uh, a correct type of business model that could sustain when right. longevity. Yeah. And if so you have I, pieces in place, you should do fine. Right. I think that's, 
that's what it is for us is, you know, it's about staying relevant. It's about putting out a quality product that is consistent and um, we're proud of and we're, you know, sticking true to our, our lane and, you know, what we're doing. I think that's just the way forward for a lot of main companies is, you know, finding your niche and, and cranking out the, that product and bring it to market and you know, creating your own value for it. Uh, we both enjoy uh, flour. That's our form. Uh, what, what type of strains uh, were you getting into that you were liking to explore? You talked about what you were into in the past, but we never got to the more current uh, stable. Yeah, so I'll, what are you liking? Well, what's new and, and I what's grew up, been? I grew up on cam and sour for sure. Those are those are my my staples. The East Coast. They uh, still influence your garden. Uh, I I don't really produce them as much. I, I've I've been breeding with them some more. They just don't perform. Um, it's hard to get a high quality product out of them. I mean, that, that Chem ninety one cut is old as hell, and sour isn't too far behind it. Um, but you know, sun, nice sun grown in a greenhouse. You know, revitalize them, bring the cuts back in. Um, yeah, I've been using them in breeding. We I just bred the Chem ninety one to an SFV male. And the SFV male I use is a. Uh, it's an early photo period outside. It starts flowering July 1, so really early. Oh, wow. Um, so a lot of our outdoor cultivars are bred with that male, and we've selected you know, for the female characteristics. So we're able to kind of fine-tune our, our library for outdoors by using this male and then selecting the female from that general progeny. Um, you talked about bringing something that you had as a cut on the inside for quite a while, putting it outside giving it a little bit of that time to re revitalize. Yeah. It just, it, it reinvigorates the, the plant. Um, I, I don't really know the science behind it, but I mean, if you talk to other, other old, old school growers, you know, that it works, it really does. You take something that's w- wicked, weak and finicky indoors. You bring it outside for a season, take clones off of it after it starts shooting nice, large leaves again, um, and bring it back in and it, they root quicker. The smell comes back. The resin's a little better. It's a, you know, wow. there's something about just being under artificial lights for, you know, like the camera. We're probably not reading everything that we're getting from the sun either. And so vegetation absorbs and it's going to have, I mean, I think we talk about everything that they're getting. Yeah. They're the uh, great unknowns that you can't account for. Right. I, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think it's really a concern for, you know, large, you know, new hype strain cult cultivators but it, you know for someone who's passionate about the old school elites and the clone onlys that have been around for 20 30 plus years uh keeping them healthy is you know part of the process and it's, a, it's been a passion of mine i recently kind of let a large part of my library go um to just kind of consolidate and fine tune and make sure we're putting out quality gear that the market wants and a lot of those cuts you know they're not as hard to get back as they used to be you had talked about uh, earlier trying to maintain, was it about 16 or so in, in a flowering room at once, at one, at one time, at one point? Yeah. Just different for, flavors? Yeah, so when we... You brought it down quite well, a bit. Before the law changed uh, back in 2019 that allowed us to purchase from oh, other yeah, vendors, right. we had to cultivate everything ourselves. So having multiple strains for the dispensary menu was important. Now it's not really the case. We're able to fine-tune our our in monocrop our rooms um so we're tailoring the environment to the specific strain and putting out the best quality we can and then wholesaling a lot of that and then buying other product from other vendors to stock in our our dispensary well retail store not dispensary but mm-hmm. do you put uh sun grown on on the shelves as a dry flower we do yeah we have uh it's part of our hundred dollar ounce specials that we try to carry year round it's yep. become increasingly difficult but um yeah, we try to keep our, you know, sun-grown $100 ounces on the menu. That's awesome. That's really good. Our most popular at the moment is uh, the Glue Dog, which was bred by Flowers Pharmacy. They're out of Waterville. And that's using the same mail I use, the July 1 SFV back cross mail onto the Gorilla Glue. Um, and again, it just it starts flowering July 1 outside, and it's done by, you know, some people pull it September 14th. So you were able to put a Gorilla Glue or, or um, in the lineage part of the Gorilla Glue in uh, outdoor here. How are oh, you yeah. protecting or, or is it already protected in the sense of from, from the environment, a main environment growing? So part of that is... Because that usually yeah. would 
I've gone straight down. Oh yeah, I mean the the original Gorilla Glue doesn't finish till like November, mm-hmm. so it's taking that photo period from the male, which is an SFE back cross eight, which was originally bred by Lions Pride out of Humboldt. Mm-hmm. I got the male, a male of it back in 2014, and just kind of been breeding with it since, um, and then selecting outdoor cuts that perform well that carry that July photo period outside. Um, so that was what Flowers Pharmacy did is they found a nice early flowering Gorilla Glue smelling pheno um, in that glue dog seed population. And, you know, we've kept the cut going. I got a question for you. And you're, you're getting into a lot more breeding and, or you've been doing the breeding for a while now. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to. More it sounds a, like you've been doing it for a bit. But. More as a hobby since like 2014, 16, really. Oh, really? Yeah. Almost straight from the get You were growing before that. Yeah, I've been growing since probably 2010-ish. Okay. You know, not really commercially till 2012-ish, 2013. I don't know. The years are getting a little harder now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it's not like you were writing this down. This is what happened this year. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it is a blur, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Oh, I asked a couple different breeders. I've been asking lately about characteristics to a male that make you look at them. Is it about and say, that's a good looking male plant because it's going to take these type of qualities with it to when I'm when I'm breeding. What are do the characteristics of a male plant, what you're looking for? vary from what you would be looking for in a female? Well, obviously you don't have the, the resin and the terpene and the flower production. Right. So depending You're basing it off structure more for me, yeah, I, I kind of try to look at the, the population that it's coming from. If you can identify the female you like, and you find a male that resembles that female, assuming they're from the same population and you can more or less assume or hope to assume that, uh, the male will carry some of those female characteristics over in the in the cross. Um, for me, it's mostly structural. Um, mostly, yeah. And then as long as I know the parents that I'm obviously, you know, I, I try to breed with parents that I know, uh, and especially like that, the Humboldt, for example, which is an SFE back cross is what I use mostly just to, I breed mostly for outdoors. Okay. Um, and then find phenos that take the, that SFE Humboldt, um, photo period so is i can search through the population and kind of see what's getting triggered in july what's starting to flower and then i know okay these are the, these are the plants i want to use take clones of and you know mm-hmm. wait and see how they, they finish it is about pushing that timetable up because that's what makes most sense for for everybody at this point isn't it i mean if we can if, if you can function at it is it safe to say that nine ten week period somewhere around there for a full for a flower time yeah yeah i'd say the the latest have you ventured deeper for outdoors or indoors um you probably knew already so outdoor yeah you yeah. had a couple late finishers before i'm guessing yeah so the the royal kush is one that i it's probably one of my favorite strains of all time and that finishes right around october 7th that's really about as late as we can kind of push it up where we're at mm-hmm. um in our micro microclimate, um, anything later than that, and the frosts are coming, and yeah, yeah, it's just a bad idea. <laughs> but uh, we do have a couple like the cherry pie that is more or less resilient. The skunk ape, which is a, I think a Chem Four Lumpus headband cross, um, which is resistant, and that you know is more till mid to later October. So a lot of it has to do with so you breed for outdoor where and you just rotate them in on in indoor. That's it. Yeah, so I don't use any of the outdoor cuts inside. Just no, the, right? But yeah, as far as for how you are, their first go round is going to be outdoor. Your first look on a new cross and different. Things yeah, like typically that. I don't do a lot of of breeding for indoors. Um, that's not because I I don't want to. It's more just a, a time thing. I, I do really enjoy growing outside under the sun. It's a lot more enjoyable for me than being indoors, you know. Um, and there's also, there's a lot of good cuts out there that are you know, easy to get a hold of for indoors. The Oreos is one that we're learning a lot of right now that we love. It just it does really well in our system. And 
Wicked Chronic Herb, and uh, the the cookies and cream is in there. We haven't tried washing it, but we can probably assume it's a good washer because of cookies and cream. Um, and then we just started growing this Dosi Punch too, which is also on your table there. Yep, and that's uh, the Purple Punch crossed to Dosi Dough. Um, I think I had some of that with you before, Nate. Right? I don't think so. This is brand new, right? Oh, brand new. Brand yeah, new? this is our first batch of it. Um, this stuff right here. Oh, okay. And it came out great. Uh, you know, wicked stocky, shorter plant, so it probably better in a sea of green than a kind of a scrog setup. A lot more plants, smaller pots, type setup. Grow them uh, smaller but more numerous and yep. same kind of spaces. Yep. So you're, you, so you're not afraid to like how um, structured is the flower room? Are you willing to go to different sizes to play for different needs of the plant? So. Yes Based off of stuff like that, yeah. so you can keep them in the rotation. Yes and no. Uh, typically, uh, I'm right. I'm in a ten gallon pot right now. I'm running like sixty plants a room, um, under twelve k. Okay, twelve thousand watts. Yep, each room sixty plants ish. We are doing an experiment where we're running the dosi punch in fives and running a lot more of them. Um, so we're going to see just how it performs. I, I don't typically change pot size unless we're trying to practice for rec, so increasing plant count, Seeing reducing pot size. if you can take size. that down, what yeah. you're going to get, what's going to be the optimal size as you've yeah. taken it down to, yeah, because that's the green. Shorter veg time. Right. But we're limited on plant count with medical, so we really can only yeah, experiment. You can. You know, what like, are you finding for results, or what are you thinking off of uh, the 10s? The 10s are good. The 10s took a while to figure out because we originally came from a 15 gallon yeah. pot down to a 10. Yep. Um, reduced, we reduced the veg time, we reduced the pot size, and our plants were getting twice as big um, in half the time veg as they were before. So we were just like that first run we did in 10s, I was just like, what the fuck just happened? Like, and this soil is all based on riding the line between gassing out and having just enough in it. Mm-hmm. So this the first run in tens we were you know way, way deficient because we just didn't have enough gas in there because the plants got so big. We found out later that um, we were operating under a, a green fluorescent bulb, uh, and I always have had the lights on at night off during the day. Yep. So. We were working under green lights, which looking back was probably not the best, but from a uh, an electrical output, it was it was better. So we found out that the green fluorescent bulbs were emitting just enough of a spectrum that was triggering the plants to feed more nitrogen later into flower than they normally would have, and also delaying their onset. And that took me six to eight months to figure out. So now we've we're really kind of nailing it with the tens. Now the veg time is proper. They veg seven days in a one gallon. They veg seven days in the ten gallon. They get flipped. Um, wow. They're ripping you know, every time. Wow, that's part. nice. Yeah, you've just uh, really up the ante on the opportunity to be able to bring in, yeah, such a minimized amount of time between periods. Yeah. Now you are going to start practicing a little bit more. You could ultimately upgrade where you're dealing a lot more with full utilization and cubic foot inside yeah, your grow. Right? That's the goal. Obviously. That's the goal. Yeah, definitely. It's just uh, LEDs. Uh, we're running uh, ceramic metal halides right now. Mm-hmm. LEDs. Uh, I am actually have I have the Model H LED from Think Grow and Testing. Um, haven't gotten a full run of it yet because the I bought a bunch of clones off a nursery that ended up. Hermeing, and I actually I ran them at multiple locations, and they all hermied, so they were just bunk ass clones. Mm. So that first LED test run, um, we didn't really get results that we could uh, kind of create data from. The I just reloaded a room with the Dosi Punch two and five under the LEDs, so hoping to see how they perform. Um, but currently, mostly running the ceramic metal halides. Nice, I, but. Uh, oh. So I will need to, though, if, if you start compacting uh, space, you'd have to... Par- Do those run fairly hot, or, or are they fine? They're, they're pretty efficient. You know, it's pretty like efficient. two amps per, per lamp. Okay. Um, they don't... I mean, I think the heat is probably relative more towards just how much wattage is being pulled, but uh, they're, they're wicked efficient lamps. The output is more on a, a PAR of 
of like a 600 watt high pressure sodium and each lamp is like only 315 watts but the par range is equivalent to like a 600 watt hps um so they're wicked efficient in that sense and the quality is just insane on them the yields the yields great the efficiency is great but the quality is really you know what we're after and i haven't seen you know i've i've grown under multiple different lamps at this point and the cmhs are by far putting out the best quality that, that i've grown under the soil also is going to lend to the flavors that you're going to be getting back as well. You have a chance of influencing a flavor profile up better than in, in other mediums. Is that kind of the future for craft? I think. Are craft, you hoping, or are you hoping that for craft? I would. I would definitely hope that for craft. I, I think the future is dependent on each each individual company and what they're goals and values are for us uh, my passion is, is soil grown and, and and bringing chronic soil to the market continuously um and that's why i'm in love with the current soil recipe that i'm using because it, it behaves more like hydro in the in, in the sense that the plants respond very vigorously from the get-go they, they go in it it's the same mix from from cloning a solo cup to the finished pot um and to go back to your, your previous questions about fertilizer and uh, the delayed um, breakdown and availability of it, this is a, a slow release mix. So the, the nutrients for flowering are breaking down slower than the, the veg nutrients. Right. Okay. Um, so it's again, it's it's a it can be a tough recipe to to under to really get down and and utilize properly because you're really riding this line between just enough and not enough. Um, yeah. and I think that's really where the quality comes from is having just enough nutrients that the plant isn't, is able to meet its genetic um, capability and not having too much toxicity and nutrients so that you're getting delayed resin, delayed terpenes. Uh, that's one of the issues I had with, uh, you know, like heavily laden no-till recipes is you're just, the bud quality isn't as great. The resin isn't as great because there's just such an abundance of nutrients. I, I think it does affect the quality. I've found that the the more you limit the abundance, the better the quality at the end of the day. 